Wow, how the tables have turned, Danny. We may be on our way for quite the classic second round with both road teams leveling up today at 2-2. We'll talk later on about which of these teams we think is in more trouble, which of the number one seeds that is. We also, of course, have to talk about the usual playoff bullshitting with the referees. We'll get to that. But which of these games do you want to discuss first, Mr. LaRue? I think we start with... The, the morning game, or at least or early afternoon, I guess the way to put it. Um, Dallas dispatching the Phoenix Suns 111-101. And a question that we will be grappling with over the course of this episode, I mean, as you mentioned, both these series started out 2-0 and different context in the two series. And then now are 2-2, guaranteed at least a game six. So both Dallas and Philly get one more home game at bare minimum. And what I wondered after game three for Dallas was how much of what they did well was sustainable. We had Chris Paul had an, had a weird, bad game in game three. The Mavericks hit a billion threes and defended better than they have in the entire series. And I don't think it was quite the same story as game three, but the parallels were striking and meant that, you know, this this has come up in a couple of different contexts over the last couple of years. But it's like to, game four reminded me that game three wasn't as anomalous as I thought it might have been at the time. Yeah, these game fours are when you find out whether you're going to have a series or not in most of these. And in both of these, we do. So what were some of the big themes that continued from game three then to you? Phoenix trying to kind of put together an offensive identity. I think that's, you know, it's been weird to see them so out of sorts, considering how well the Suns had played, not only at most times, not all times, but most times during their first round series, but of course, over the course of the year and getting good shots, getting to getting to their spots. And that wasn't as much, you know, that wasn't as much the hallmark here. They did. Phoenix did get 25 shots in the restricted area and did get to the line 18 times, which is a reasonable amount not a ridiculous amount but five of 18 on mid-rangers and if you want to combine it 11 of 34 on twos outside the restricted area yeah and they were 10 of 31 on some shots such such last game and since we saw they're shooting over 60 percent on twos outside the paint they've gone five of 12 and five of 18 the last two games on those so that's interesting now in terms of the quality of those shots i mean it has been different right I mean, number one they haven't been able to just target luca nearly as easily he particularly i thought today even more so than last game where i thought he still kind of ran out of gas late but with no chris paul to go against him that, that made it a little bit easier to hide him to be sure we'll talk about that However, I thought that they've just made Phoenix feel them a lot more. Another big theme is the number of turnovers that Phoenix has had now on the road in these two games. And whether it's Luka kind of setting the tone with pressure, after we recorded, I saw a quote of everyone saying, hey, Luka diving on the floor, pressuring up at the start of game three, like that really inspired us. And yeah, he did wear down, but I didn't think he wore down defensively. In this game, he had a hand in forcing a few of these turnovers, offensive fouls, which you know, we're kind of borderline some of them, but at times where he stepped up, they trapped more on the perimeter as well against Booker. They just flew around. They had more overall intensity and you didn't have Chris Paul just lazily playing with you and then getting to his spot on a mid-ranger or blowing by guys or just, all right, we're going to soft switch here. Okay. We'll kind of hedge. And then Chris can, can just no pressure on him. He'll just carve that up the way he wants to and you know Chris might have played a lot better had he been able to play more minutes but in the time that he was out there he wasn't getting the same quality of shots and you do still wonder obviously on his ability to just take over any game at any time like he kind of sits back throughout a lot of the game and then he'll turn on turn it on in the fourth a lot of these games but if he's they're not close in the fourth, then it's harder for him to do that. So I think Uh, just, yeah, go ahead. So a couple of things. One, both of these teams were in the top five in terms of turnover frequency in the regular season. Dallas was fifth. Uh, Avoiding turnovers. Avoiding turnovers, yes. Dallas was fifth, 12.9. Phoenix was tied for second, third with 12.6. And Dallas in this game was right around that standard. 12.1 is actually a little bit below. Better, a little bit better, lower portion of it. Phoenix up to 17.4. Not only did they 
they have 17 turnovers, but I mean, some of them were work in the in, in the mold of like, oh god, like the, like the, Dallas. I think we've talked about over playoff series before is that uh, the change in seven game series is that you also have a better idea of where passes are coming from and where they're going to, and so I think Dallas is better now at anticipating the passes that Phoenix just has in their sets, and it's a shift that you have to make to some extent from going from an 82 game offense to a 16 game offense is that they're going to see all your stuff a lot more and so i think dallas has gotten better though they didn't get a ton of live ball steals in this game they've done a better job of kind of knowing what's coming yeah they only had five steals but i went and look at, at all the phoenix turnovers and i do think that a bunch of them were at least caused by dallas providing some level of pressure right you had plays where booker was trapped and just kind of threw it away there were a couple of plays where devin booker elbowed somebody because again you're in position where you're pressuring him where he feels like he has to get that arm up uh they had three or four charges there's a javel charge where they put more pressure on cp he slips to the rim but then jalen brunson came over and took it right in the chest there was spencer dinwiddie gapping in the passing lane as Jay Crowder received the ball uh, on the wing and then intercepting his pass going to the corner. There was Luca running down and stealing the ball from behind uh, on Aiton. And even the Chris Paul coming down from the shot and hitting Luca in the face, like someone who at least had to be there <laughs> for that, right? And, sure. well, uh, and, and also, and, by the way, they, yeah, go ahead. I, one Phoenix more thing is, real quickly. Yeah. Go ahead, you go. Uh, there were three three-second calls yes. in this game, two on Phoenix, and then the one actually that was a bad call on Kleba because he was imminently exiting the lane at the time the call was made which you you're not supposed to call it on someone who is like starting to move out of the lane uh but anyway that was that was interesting i don't I can't remember the last game we had three three seconds calls on offense but what were you gonna say you probably well, one, one of those offensive fouls i i know it, i'm sure it drove the ire of suns fans but broadly speaking i think it was in the realm of correct was chris chris paul's fifth and john hollinger called this at one point the game of you know like the the preseason points of emphasis coming coming to roost and we saw jay crowder sure. not get a call when he deviated from his normal shooting path to try to draw a three-shot foul which was exactly correct and then chris paul i thought of it more as a kind of a stop short rather than a veer but he made a non-basketball play go and go went into jalen brunson who was trailing from behind in the back court and they called it an offensive foul on Chris Paul and it wasn't a picture perfect example of what the league wants in these circumstances but it was close enough for me it's still a bullshit play like you're you know the it's you're allowed to stop short to shoot the ball you are not allowed to stop short in the backcourt on those sorts of plays and again like a guy's just trying to run back on defense and Chris Paul tried to draw the foul and fell down in front of him it's, it's a dangerous play it's a bullshit play I and I certainly am not going to object to over enforcement of that which again i mean i thought it it wasn't like oh man he just suddenly went at a 90 degree angle to the guy but you know he cut in front of the guy and slowed down and with the, the intent of making him run into him the that's, only that's reason the that contact occurred is because chris paul deliberately made it happen and Precisely. if that and if and that's the case then it's either a no call or it's an offensive foul and in this case offensive foul was completely reasonable yeah and the other one that i thought was hilarious was the one at the end of the half where chris missed the shot went up for the offensive board luca had it and luca did the chris paul to chris paul oh chris, did you did you hear jason kidd's quote after the game on this oh this is amazing it's so fantastic so somebody asked chris paul about the mavericks drawing fouls and he said or, or jason kidd you mean yeah jason kidd he said we're being taught by one of the best point guards ever on the other side that's pretty cool <laughs> perfection Man, kid kid has had some fucking hilarious quotes it is it, the one where he's like oh we got a, they got the ball to their playmaker go bear like I, i'm really enjoying like his trolling this is awesome and but that's i mean chris paul basically invented that play uh, a lot he kyle lowry and now joel does it those are the three guys who do it the most these days of the oh there's sort of a loose ball and there's the slightest bit of contact and i could stay on my feet here but i felt something and i'm just gonna fall down and roll into a ball across the floor and they have no choice but to call a foul because it looks like there was contact um kyle lowry was uh was in rare form in the other game too we'll talk about sure. that but well, and, and then luca was asked about it and uh 
he says chris paul asked him did i push you that hard and luca said no but it was a smart play (laughs) (laughs) which i mean luca is is pretty intolerable himself and he's only going to get worse as he gets older with this drifting stuff and this game was especially the first quarter was a test case in ref baiting being successful where guys acting like they got hit in the head and got hit in the face was leading to calls even when the contact was glancing at best like dwight powell getting that tech or flagrant i can't remember which one it was yeah. on on booker which was on minimal contact there was and so it was a lot at the same end of the floor um and, and it's the NBA is very hard to officiate. And just as been the case in soccer, it's that you, you know, embellishing comes from the point of making sure that giving them the onus to make a call. And if you think that the contact was all by the other person, you're getting there. And so I, I hope that the equilibrium eventually is somewhere other than where it is right now. And it is frustrating. And I see the writing on the wall just as we did in that Rockets Thunder series all those years ago. But, or was that Rockets Clippers? Whatever series, whatever series Lou Williams flopped the hell out of but it's the the richness of the sun's complaining about some of that stuff when Chris Paul is the inspiration straight up for some of those rules. It doesn't make it right. And it doesn't, you know, some of those are are valid criticisms, but they do ring a little hollow. More valid dental claims. Those retired players who ran up like $450,000 in like dental work or NBA players who bring their hand to their mouth and like pretend to check their mouth every time they get hit in the face or, or like lightly brush at this point which 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 of those is is, is more legitimate but not by much oh boy and i mean there's a few guys who get hit like jose alvarado got hit pretty good by by and which was not called a foul by the way and i i thought one of the other impacts of chris paul's foul trouble was more minutes for cameron Payne, and we got to see some of Payne's limitations he i don't think the mavericks attacked him enough on offense they did attack him a fair amount but i thought they should have gone after him more there was this one possession that drove me crazy where the suns gave up one of many unnecessarily low resistance switches to get Payne on to Luca and then Luca passed the ball but not to like an open teammate for a finish and then he never got the ball back and I think it was a contested two by somebody and the Mavs had had a very good shot distribution but I was surprised to see that Monty Williams is so reluctant to try Aaron Holiday when Cameron Payne especially with his his limitation shooting threes just doesn't fit in as well if you want to have another guard out there alongside Devin Booker yeah well I, I think Holiday is a, a little bit bigger but and might hold up a little bit better defense although again i think Payne, given his stature does i think he got a charge today like he's he's not just pathetic out there like some of these guys but he's Uh, still but he's still an easy target like that's the way yeah. that's the i mean way. i'm not i don't know that aaron holiday would be that much better and also just like holiday i think is kind of more familiar with playing the shooting guard in their system Payne just knows their system they can run the same stuff he's been there for a while so i i'm not sure that they're going to go away from him necessarily although they did for the end of the game they actually just went with booker at point guard and which is which is what Johnson. i think is the actual proper solution with chris paul's unavailable uh, or you so you would just not play Payne at all and just make booker the point guard. i mean that, in, that's in circumstance in circumstance Chances where you're not like where it, where it matters, not you know in the middle of the game, get Booker tired and makes it harder for him to be good at the end. Well, I mean, also let's keep in mind Booker is coming off the hamstring issue himself. He played 43 minutes in this one. In those lineups, he's really the only guy who can dribble and run a pick and roll. I, I just I'm not sure how well you can do there. Like they run out of playmaking, I think, pretty quickly there. Another theme again, and you mentioned like only four steals for Phoenix, six fast break points. Like they need to be winning the transition game in this series which they really uh, are not the Mavs are, are not a big fast breaking team and DeAndre Ayton I, I think just uh, has not had the impact on either end uh, in either of these two games uh, really not much in this series on the defensive end I would say I agree and Ayton's proclivity for doing the play offensively that results in not drawing contact he had a couple of better finishes in traffic in this game but there are times when that considering how big and strong he is is absolutely infuriating and Aiton only took two free throws in this game missed both of them and there were a couple times where he had it looked like he had a lane to the basket and he's the biggest dude out there and just like took a floater instead just like maybe some of it is you know camera angles and I think there are times that we we or you thought there was a guy there was 
was a play where Kyle Lowry passed up what seemed like the most open layup in the world, but maybe it didn't seem like it was as open to him from his angle. But Aiton, that, but I agree with you. I think the defensive end is the bigger concern because Dallas's offense, yeah, they only were credited with 13 shots around the basket, but I don't think that was necessarily Aiton being super intimidating. It was that they were getting really good shots other places. Yeah, and a lot of what they did was Aiton just kind of hanging back uh, under the basket, uh, even against against. Oh boy, the drop the drop coverage in the first quarter maybe first half i mean he was playing like brooke lopez and one of the first plays of the game luca just comes in for a totally unpressured floater which is you know a little further out whatever but luca is a great shooter with those and then but the problem is if you're in that kind of a drop coverage then you shouldn't be giving up all 44 three-point attempts and obviously the mavs just shot completely lights out what are they 14 to 24 in the first half something like that 14 to 24 got it on the head and then they went they were one of their first 10 in the third and then they made five of their last six to close it out with finney smith putting it away with a, a couple of big threes and uh you know he was eight of 12 from three i think that was a career high i think his previous career high had been six, six threes 24 points five offensive rebounds as well and he played i thought pretty good hounding defense uh, on devin booker a lot of the way and they didn't have a ton of success uh, getting him off of booker necessarily like he he and the pick and roll defender put pressure on booker pretty well and booker did have seven assists but he had five turnovers as well four fouls had a couple of offensive fouls as well as a couple of passes that he airmailed so yeah he was outstanding only had to play 38 minutes uh, amazingly although it did kind of slip away in the end um so yeah i mean it was a career game for him and you know, still looking like a a very solid extension that they reached with him shortly after the trade deadline any other kind of big themes that stuck out to you here cam johnson's being very limited as a defender i've been extremely disappointed by him in this series and the the Mavericks have gone after him with impunity. A part of the Davis Bertans explosion in the first half was at Johnson's expense. Granted, Bertans will pull on damn near anybody, but some of those were on him. But also a lot of the a lot of the drives that the Suns were giving up. And I thought the shot charts don't tell the full story, but I, I thought even within a given area, the Mavericks were getting looks that were closer to open than the Suns were. Like the, the mid-rangers that Phoenix got, they weren't other guys sagging off by 10 feet and just pulling, you know, Chris Paul pulling that that magic shot or anything else. They were well contested. Devin Booker in particular, I thought his shot mix was much more difficult than it was in games one and two or most of the regular season. Yeah, and he wasn't getting a lot of threes either. I thought Jalen Brunson had a pretty good game. He, he just was tough. He gave up his body on a couple of, I mean, he probably drew at least three or four offensive fouls, I want to say. I mean, I know he, he got the charge on DeVale. Uh, he got the offensive foul on CP, not intentionally, but he did get that on the veering in front play i think he got he was one of the elbows from booker as well so he just played a, a rugged brand of basketball defensively enough that he wasn't getting taken advantage of as well they went with nilakina again rather than josh green i thought he was able to give them something actually getting over screens so they didn't have to switch as much just getting a little more pressure again on, on the ball than they had in phoenix well, and I of all, that, of all yeah. people to break the cold streak for the Mavs from three, I think they missed eight in a row. And then Nokina is the one who broke it with a bit with a big three that pushed it back out a little bit. That's right. Yeah, there are a few times in the second half where the Suns kind of got back within six back within four and the Mavs would immediately hit a three or get a nice little five-point run to push it back up again a couple of other notes I thought that Devin Booker it's interesting number one that they still continue to put him on Brunson rather than going because they want Bridges on Doncic and they don't really feel Jay Crowder is particularly suited to guard Brunson because of his quickness so they put Booker on Brunson and that's I, I thought Brunson had more success attacking Booker today there's a thought that maybe they should go Crowder on Luca, but I'm not. I don't think Crowder's as good on Luca. Maybe your thought is we're going to put Bridges on Brunson and shut him down. They did try that some at the end of Game Three, but they didn't really go to it as much tonight. Uh, and then I thought Booker really was had some moments of not exactly inattentiveness, but maybe just poor positioning off the ball against shooters, kind of helping without helping. Oh, the Suns. The Suns 
pinching in off of the weak side or the strong side on a drive that wasn't necessarily perfectly contained, but was contained enough, was infuriating me at points in this game. Yeah, and they also just kind of wouldn't quite be in a stance, and then the pass would come. Bullet pass from Brunson or Dinwiddie or, or Luca to a DFS or Bertans, who was fantastic in this game with just he banged four threes right at the end of the first, beginning of the second. That was, I mean, he's he's a big body too. I mean, you got to be right there when he is yeah, there to. I complained get the shot earlier in the series that there were times when Phoenix had campaign on him and they weren't doing anything with Bertans, but in this one he had yeah. that big stretch where he hit four threes and helped keep Dallas in rhythm. You know, Luca didn't have the greatest game. He was one out of ten on threes which meant that rest of team was 19 out of 34 and that was mostly a, of the spot up variety dallas is only 44 percent from two though mm-hmm. and they are a pretty good three-point shooting team like you don't feel good about giving them 44 three-point attempts well especially when you consider that a lot of them were of the catch and shoot variety and were pretty clean looks that is it's it's different when you're shooting you know lucas were of course the most significantly difficult of the 44 yeah and there was a lot of i mean this was a decent brunson game but you know he was seven to 17 from the field luca was around 50 percent from two-point range also got uh, seven of eight free throws dinwiddie was only one out of six on twos so they contained the guards reasonably well but they just weren't able to also take away the three-point line and by the end you know ayton was kind of i i don't want to say he looked rudy gobert like because frankly he looked worse right he was sort of caught in no man's land where either brunson or luca could just kind of mess around at the dotted line and and get what's a decent shot for them and he'd sort of just be hanging out on the block but not really influencing that and then they would just throw it right to the corner the mavs were 10 out of 16 on corner threes in this game 16 of their 44 three-point attempts were corner threes so that showed you i mean phoenix was not i mean like we criticize utah you gotta criticize phoenix as well now that is an exceedingly hard lineup to guard that five out especially when luca's on the floor i mean i don't really know what you do with that honestly but and if dallas just shoots a little bit worse from three it's not an amazing offensive night for them they had a 120 offensive rating this game but there were plays where Aiton just kind of looked lost out there he's not really guarding the corner i like having him putting the guy he's guarding in the corner because he doesn't really seem to have a great feel for when to rush in and, and when to get out to the corner and you know Aiton had a couple of blocks but again you, you didn't really feel him throughout most of the game and then his guy was getting a fair number of three-pointers up as well and he was negative uh, 15 in 33 minutes um anything else you want to talk about here i got a few smaller notes before we kind of talk about what's going to happen next here spencer dinwiddie one of six on twos i thought they did a pretty good job contesting some of that and, and dinwiddie the role that he's playing at times is being the lead creator when lucas off the floor but i he's ha- he's had a more challenging series top to bottom yeah biombo when javel got his fourth biombo played five minutes it was actually plus seven he again i thought was pretty effective largely on switches but it, he obviously brings problems from an offensive standpoint and they replaced him with Dayton pretty early on we haven't seen them go without a center yet which is interesting and maybe they just feel like they need that center to roll but the dallas is doing a lot of switching i might try doing some of that i worry about phoenix's supplemental rim protection like they don't really have that type of a player oh yeah the the idea being you're gonna outscore them because you're not even really stopping them that well anyway and Mm -hmm. and you do that when they go with with kleba probably at center obviously when powell's out there you want to match with the center also just kleba being able to stay out of foul trouble and play 34 minutes was massive he was plus 16 and they survived the powell minutes with uh only minus three powell did little other than miss a a couple of free throws on the offensive end see if i have any other smaller notes here no i think that's about it so next game chris paul will probably play more than 23 minutes you would imagine he's had a, a couple of relative sinkers here on the road now any other adjustments for either side that you see not helping as aggressively off the off the corners unless you absolutely need to but i mean you're giving up a wide open corner three generally speaking that's a more dangerous proposition than you know trying to run in especially from the weak side and contest like a luca drive or something like that phoenix has to clean that up yeah i I mean it's just yeah you'd like to do one or the other right and i think they just phoenix just number one is the uh the seth partno play better adjustment mikhail bridge is just not really a factor with his pressure and defensive playmaking in the two games in dallas 
taking better care of the ball which obviously more of chris paul would help with and i think chris has just got to be a little bit more active getting into the lane and i'm not sure how much energy he can exert at 37 it since he turned the two games since he turned 37 all of a sudden he's, he's decrepit out there uh but obviously that that not real but I think he he just he's gonna need to give them more of an effort in game five to where he's controlling the game more controlling every possession more helping them be more intentional about who they're attacking Dallas I I think you make it a great point that Dallas is kind of on to some of their stuff now you could say they should play more of a drop coverage but then there's not even really drop a, a big man rolling to the rim to play a drop coverage on once uh, you know if Mark Kleba is playing 34 minutes at center for you and then you're going with Finney Smith at, at center some also I actually thought Aiton looked better switching than dropping given yeah. the specific opponent in this game yeah he, he's sometimes he has games where he looks good there sometimes he looks bad like I didn't think he was great against Luca. you know they're switching to fail too I, I think like having the center switch actually works a little bit better and maybe you at least also tire these guys out some and i think you can challenge luca to make step backs i think going back to the strategy of switching and then trying to just making luca drive more and tiring him out in the beginning of the game or say hey jalen brunson or spencer dinwiri we're gonna make you do it instead against one of our centers but it's just tough man when they're spreading you out like that as soon as you get beat uh, then you're in rotation and you're probably going to give up a, a three-pointer and i'm not sure that just giving up fewer threes is going to help because then you're probably going to be giving up layups and i do think not switching with the likes of bullock and finney smith to me i think that's either put two on the ball there or probably more realistically do some hedging make force those guys to make pick and pop threes or threes on the roll or, or plays on the roll i should say would be something that that i would look at as well try to just uh, preload the help a little bit on some of these isolations continue to pressure up full court you know they really haven't done any of that at all recently some of the same stuff that we were saying that dallas needed to do and has done successfully against phoenix but phoenix i think is really going to benefit from the energy of their crowd but this is going to be an awesome game i'm really looking forward to this and uh i, I think i'll stick with my sons and seven prediction from before the series but i think like dallas they could win game five very easily i, I think i think this is phoenix will shoot better on their mid-rangers dallas won't shoot quite as well from three but this has been a wonderful response defensively from the dallas mavericks i've really been impressed after they looked like they're just going to get completely run out of the gym on the defensive end in the first two games we can transition over to philadelphia where the sixers finished out the game 116 108 over miami and it got close a couple times towards the end i can't remember i don't believe it got closer than six but it was you know it it looked like End of the third, it was a four-point game, and then an 8-0 run by Philly with Embiid on the bench to going and out of bio on the floor to start the fourth was basically the deciding moment of the game. One place I want to start here, and I and I, I this isn't to discount the big games of Joel Embiid or anything else, but I, I I had a moment during this game where I was thinking about it, and so I wanted to look it up. So, Miami overall was seven of thirty-five from three, and that is anomaly. That that's. But what I was thinking about during it was how many of Miami's three pointers in this game were taken by their absolute best shooters. So part of the reason why Miami had this reputation and and deservedly so was that you know let's let, we could talk about Duncan Robinson and Max Struess and Tyler Hero and Gabe Vincent. I, he hit thirty-seven percent this year on a pretty similar volume to Tyler Hero. I think of him as kind of a little bit of a different level, and then. Lowry was about the same in terms of efficiency, but a little bit lower in terms of frequency. So you had Butler taking six. P.J. Tucker hits him. He just doesn't take as many. And congrats to Jimmy Butler, by the way, through the vast majority of this game until garbage time or not garbage time, but largely when things were largely decided by the end. Uh, Butler was the only Heat player who had made multiple threes. That's not, right. not a great recipe for Miami. Exactly. And so Miami is, I. so I wanted to, the juxtaposition of who's taking the shots and where those shots are coming from with the the idea. And so this has come up, Mike Prada had a good thread on this kind of the other way. He was criticizing Mark Jackson's commentary in, I believe that was one of the games we attended. And 
so that was about like how Prater's thing was about how three point shooting makes shots easier around the basket. And I think this game was a reminder that a good interior presence like Joel Embiid, who's amazing, can also make perimeter shots easier. These are they're symbiotic or at times not symbiotic. It depends on the circumstance circumstances. And I thought that's part of why Philly is getting better three point looks than they were earlier in the series is that Miami has to be occupied with other things a higher proportion of the time. So not all of them. I mean, Harden had some tough ones and he had a big night, but the quality and of if you combine the quality of the shot and the quality of the shooter, Philly had a huge advantage from the perimeter in this game. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm not really sure. Like Oladipo, one of five, like he, he was not taking great ones. Hero is a good shooter. Obviously, but his, his, 40%. most of heroes were tough. He had one, the one he made was wide open. It was the same variety yeah. as you've seen before. Bigs in a drop, just pulls it, just pulls it open. But the other ones were, some of them were better contested yeah and hero I, I mean one point that was made is well you know jimmy butler is going crazy at the rim because they're sticking so close to the three-point shooters and yeah maybe that's part of it i, I mean butler what what a game for him we'll talk more about that but but the other heat players weren't really able to take advantage of that too much and hero among them and heroes had this was kind of back to a bad hero game in terms of just not really getting to the rim only took two free throw attempts one assist so this is more about him just taking jump shots. Well, and, and on that front, when Tower here was on the floor, the the Heat had oh, I guess it was a 109 offensive rating. I apologize. I thought it was I thought it was at 100. I think maybe I was looking at it earlier in the game that their offense had been struggling more. So 109 is totally fine. Yeah. Now, regardless of what you want to say about the Heat, even on the looks that they had, and I think it, you are of the belief that they're a little bit worse than I do, but shooting 20% is below what you'd expect, right? Of course. Yeah. And they still had a 112 offensive rating. And I thought Butler, and he was unbelievable, obviously, but he hit some pretty difficult mid-rangers. Him going two of six from three, he's still, despite the fact that he's hitting a few more, you don't necessarily expect that. But nonetheless, like I think they shot 66% from two. Like That should be good enough to win. Now, Lowry going over six, if you want to tell me that you know he's just really compromised, with this hamstring which we'll talk more about he yeah is. okay I, I i can i can get on board with that potentially he didn't necessarily look that compromised early like last game or early in this game but he clearly re-injured it but i think it's really more about the defense here for miami and also like the philadelphia 76ers are a really good offensive team and i think i w don't even want to start with james harden we'll talk about him I think it starts with Joel Embiid and what that cat and mouse game is because the beginning of this game, Embiid has 15 points in the first quarter and the way he's getting most of his stuff is Miami's going to their switching group. Embiid is rolling to the rim and they're doing a great job off of these switches of Embiid getting a seal, changing the angle, passing it from side to side so that you get a good entry pass. Embiid is a massive target. He got, a, I think, three or four buckets in that first. And yeah, and the foul uh, line two of it. those were on Jimmy Butler, if memory serves. Right, yeah. Butler was the switching onto him. And, you know, Jimmy Butler, try as he might, is not able to deal with 280 pounds. And so Embiid has 15 points in the first. And so then they really decided, okay, we're going to go totally crazy here with ball denials and in some of these fights between Embiid and Bam Adebayo just for position I mean Bam is basically just he's essentially like boxing him out but where the ball is is like the rim essentially like he's just standing between him and the ball pretty much at all times I and mean, there's one play where he was contesting Embiid across the entire floor they tried basically every possible angle they could to get it into him and Embiid wasn't a huge factor at least in terms of his own offense but when the Miami Heat's sole rim protector is on the outside almost like outside of Embiid sometimes trying to deny him that's his main focus now other stuff is going to open up and that's Harden driving to the basket with nine to ten from the foul line he even made two two pointers in this game Danny is, is incredible uh with he had nine assists opens things up a little bit for Maxi and Harris to be more efficient a lot of times too Harden was really manipulating the defense where they would have Embiid fronted and then 
sometimes by a smaller player the backside help would come in Harden would find someone in the corner like Danny Green got a couple of threes there again Danny Green only played 24 minutes but another three or four from three for him and just he's been such a godsend he's actually like spent some time guarding Jimmy Butler as well got a got a steal on him if memory serves just got done. yeah uh so it was it really did still to me start with Embiid but I mean James Harden 41 minutes 31 points what did you make of his evening other than what I said already here I thought he looked more like he looked more like an orchestrator and i actually liked him better as a passer than a shooter though the six of ten sure makes that look makes that look good and harden also had a couple possessions where he pushed the ball in transition which was thrilling that hasn't been exactly a staple though and tyrese maxi was by far the lead was the leader in pushing a transition offense the sun's credited with 18 fast break points sorry the sixers yeah. with 18 fast break maxi points. leads the playoffs in fast break points which is pretty remarkable for a playoffs that includes Giannis and Nakumpo. Right. And, and so I thought Harden, though, I thought he did a good job overall creating good looks for teammates, using understanding when it was and was not possible to get the ball into Joel Embiid. And one other way of putting this is like, I mean, the, the Heat did have nine steals, but when you consider how aggressive they're being on, on a lot of these plays, like I, I thought that the, the Sixers did a did a nice job executing on offense and Harden was not the center of that, but he was a focal point too. Yeah, and he looked more confident. He actually got a couple of nice plays against Adebayo, got a drive on him for a foul, got a, a step back. Doc Rivers said before the game that they weren't trying to attack that matchup, but Harden actually, when necessarily, was confident with that. And just overall, he looked more comfortable trying to score and hit some big threes in the end finished six of ten even hit a spot up three late in the clock as well which was a huge play i think he had how many did he have in the fourth he had like 15 and i think he had 13 in the second and 15 in the fourth and this six, was his, 16 in the fourth five and nine from the field four of six from three and this was harden's first 30 point playoff game since the last game before his hamstring injury a year ago game five against boston last year and i, and I do think we kind of forget how awesome he was even in that series i mean he had a 30 point game and a 40 point game in that series so yeah that's big i mean should, i'm not going to expect that to be something that happens consistently for james harden but the heat are somewhat struggling defensively in these two games and yes the sixers shot like 25 percent from three in the two miami games and like 45 percent from three in these two games like that's a, a huge stat and the sixers were getting open shots in miami but they also have joel Embiid now and uh he he will be joining the team in miami and i i do think that jimmy butler is going to be hard pressed to continue playing like this i mean some of the his shot chart was fascinating in this one well, I mean, one I think where I want to start with instead of the shot chart, Jimmy Butler had 12 yeah. points in 10 minutes in the second quarter and then had 17 in 11 minutes in the third. And that, that third quarter, I thought he was huge. Yeah, absolutely. And just some of the plays he was making too, like it, he did travel on one of them, but he was like, they put Joel on him, which I thought was actually somewhat of an inspired choice when, because Miami went to Tucker at center a lot because Deadman was out with an illness. And so they didn't want to have Joel guarding Tucker because he's just going to space out they said hey jimmy butler we're not that worried about him shooting threes let's put joel on him he wants to get to the basket and see what happens and i I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily say that Butler was getting good shots against Joel, but he was making some really tough ones. I mean, he had this step-through, left-handed scoop shot, and you're like, oh, he's totally swallowed up here on a couple of these, and then he somehow managed to fight a shot up and make it or get to the foul line as well. It really was a virtuoso performance. He wasn't necessarily able to create a ton for his teammates because they were trying to not help too much on him, and maybe that would have changed. I'm surprised it didn't help more on him, frankly, because they were giving up or because the heat weren't making threes but that seems to be a more of the edict from doc rivers and you've got when you've got joel and beat underneath that can be helpful but again as we said miami shot a fantastic percentage on twos in part because of butler i guess we probably do need to talk about kyle lowry now Ugh. and you know he said afterwards like it's not basically it's not something you want to play on he and, and you could be, tell yeah. there was a point i think it was in the second quarter where things fundamentally changed for him and i i, I watched 
watched it and said, oh, he can't, he can't run now. Like, you, you, and yeah. he had, well, there were a couple moments that were a little bit better later on, but not that much better. And yeah. Lowry, basically, anytime he tried to do like a, a sprint in a straight line, you could tell that he would like tweak it some. Right. But mm-hmm. he, he had a, a drive full court in the second where I think he heard it initially. Then he actually had like a couple of pick six steals. And even when he wasn't going fast, he still would hurt it more. And then he jogged back at down and you're like, oh, he's limping a lot more than he was before he did this right and with lowry being like and, and you know re-injuring or whatever it was with the hamstring then you worry that it could linger and that's a big part of the risk why you know it's be super judicious with muscle injuries because it's it's you know you get these tentative recoveries and the links and everything else like that and the heat do have the talent they already won two games in this series without kyle lowry and we don't know if kyle how he'll look in in game five should he play I, th- I expect that he will and the challenge for spo though is figuring out what is if he is limited and i expect that lowry will be limited at bare minimum in game five but probably the rest of the series is how do you deploy him? do you bring gabe vincent back into the starting five and if lowry looks the way he did in the second half of game four i would bring him off the bench and start gabe vincent yeah he played 30 minutes and they're they just need more from that position and hollinger a lot of people have been saying hey where's duncan robinson like this guy was eight and nine from three in game one against the hawks and three of the four games in this series they've shot like shit they were good obviously in game two they are there definitely is some concern about him being targeted there's concern about playing him with hero and they obviously a they don't think hero is as bad as robinson defensively that's saying something considering it was against this very team that like shake milton looked like an all-star against tyler hero in the, in the regular season and so they think hero is better and he's not as bad defensively and they don't want to play those two guys together i don't think they want to play zone i mean maybe they should look into playing some more zone and try to get those guys out there go back to that three two zone with the two small guys on the baseline and tucker butler and bam but then you you know i guess hero is your backup point guard in that situation or or your point guard would you start Robinson instead of Struess? I mean, they run some of the same actions. I do think Robinson is better than Struess, just getting a shot off, just a little bit more of a threat in terms of giving you something to run. But I don't know if that fundamentally changes things. And they, I mean, number one, I think they, they need to get better defensively than just hope that these guys who are getting shots. Now, you could say maybe Robinson could replace Oladipo or Vincent. And they need, I feel like they need it's their opinion i think that they need someone who can guard tyrese maxi out there and they need another guy who can dribble and bring the ball up they don't necessarily want that to be hero who i think can be turnover prone when he's kind of the only ball handler so it's a tough call i I don't know if going with duncan robinson maybe there are some lineups you can spot him out there like when paul reed is out there but then then that's kind of the harden only minutes and harden will bring him up and try to isolate against him i'd like to at least see them try it and no guarantees of success but i think it's worth. let's see i mean i think i want to have a contingency plan to bring him in if you still just can't make any shots in game five i don't think i would have him as part of my default plan game five that's fair um this was a very tightly called game overall and that really benefited philly because they have guys who love to get the line that's butler too but butler his fouls are like he earns his fouls like he'll really like crash into guys instead of just you know kind of the by the book sort of fouls and indeed he'll get fouled a lot too but he also loves to do the kind of rip move type of crap and those more touch fouls are being called and that's miami wants to play really physically against joel they have a lot of physical guys like tucker and bam in particular are just gonna fight really hard and so some of these off ball fouls are being called that that's definitely to miami's detriment bam got his fourth down 10 in the third contesting a joel jumper that ended up being a three-point play they took him out at that point i probably would have tried to stay with him but then when they brought him back in it's when philly went on on their big run to kind of ice it so you can't say that that decision cost them the game like they're in in striking distance i think they actually made up ground when he was on the bench oh yeah we should mention that deadman was unavailable due to a non-covid illness yeah Yeah, i i I did mention that oh i I missed that that's okay we don't hear everything each other say because we're we have to look at our stats and all that stuff too uh victor oladipo did at least draw some foul calls he's kind of been at the lowry grifting school and lowry with the hamstring issue was even more focused on that type of stuff than normal but yeah lowry clearly can't do anything inside the arc like he passed up so many layups 
even more so than normal he also just looks heavy you know, compared to where he's been in toronto i was kind of thinking about like they just like not apply the the well, whole I, like miami he's, heat he's also been thing dealing him. with a hamstring injury that's not exactly the easiest well part. yeah but i don't think he ballooned up in like the last, last week two weeks or something yeah, that's fair um you know i think just overall he's looked heavier than he did at his best times in toronto this year so yeah i mean this is gonna be fascinating where so let's answer the question which number one seed is more in trouble miami or phoenix miami and a big part of it is lowry being limited if not you know like variants available but the other part is that the two games miami won in this series were without philadelphia's best player and as far as we can tell philadelphia's best player is going to be available they've gotten to me they've gotten good shots they're doing a better job than i expected defensively far from a perfect job i mean but as you mentioned miami 66 percent on twos in this game and their three-point shooting will be better they will regress to the mean that is will happen but phoenix some of what happened these last two games felt a little bit uncharacteristic and for miami part of it is also just i have less faith in the miami heat in general and so i'm more willing to buy into some of their flaws because i saw them as flaws in the first place yeah and they philly's gotten some very good shots since joel came back and and he is very difficult to match up against i mean this is a defensive team who has not been able to get it done defensively the last two games and then also like you mentioned with lowry it's not only that kyle lowry that they're missing kyle lowry it's that they're gonna play him and he's gonna be bad right it seems like is, is where they are at this point and yeah like you were saying maybe you bring him off the bench see what he's got although then you run into the issue of like him having to keep the hamstring warm and, and all that as well we can touch on some of the news elsewhere there's no discipline for jordan Poole, as there should not have been like not even like a fine or a retroactive flagrant one or anything i mean that was that was pretty obvious i thought it was relatively unlikely to be successful i mean taylor jenkins did double down he said oh zach kleiman's been in touch with the league and we insist the trainers and job both said that this is what caused it and th- that may well be the case but it also i didn't think was like you know some ridiculous non-basketball play intent to injure flagrant foul not unnecessary or excessive he was going for the ball he hit his knee like that's something that happens oh well, i don't know if it's something that happens because it was a rare circumstance if he did in fact get injured that way so john now has been listed as doubtful with knee soreness recall also we didn't mention this yesterday that this is the same knee that had him out for a while before this and there are also you know people were going through and saying there's some other instances that could have caused it he got kneed in the quad by clay thompson i don't think that was it you know, he definitely was kind of messing with the the front of his knee it looked like and of course because it's just been knee soreness we never actually there's no way to evaluate oh the injury mechanism or or whatever but it ultimately doesn't matter he's listed as doubtful maybe memphis is just messing around and he's going to be able to play but i mean i don't i don't think golden sleep golden say is losing sleep over oh man how are we going to stop these guys if jod doesn't play so uh, i don't know that there's that much to be gained by subterfuge here like i think he probably is legitimately doubtful but maybe you could make a comment we've seen two guys listed as out already who have played this year and gotten fined gotten their teams fined at least um but obviously i mean we don't even need to talk about what's going to happen in the series jod doesn't play i mean maybe you could you've seen the warriors like flub around and have a bunch of turns like memphis will probably be better defensively especially once brooks is back and maybe they can turn it into a rock fight and maybe steven adams will be back and they'll do some more offensive rebounding but i i think ultimately they're just not gonna be able to score well enough uh, particularly with golden state having kind of found their defensive rhythm in the last game and what about the other series we got a, a bunch of stuff from the referees there uh, apparently you and i are wrong today we don't understand basketball at all because that marcus smart call of a non-shooting foul was the correct call according to the league (sighs) yeah i mean they also did did rule that tatum grabbed drew holiday which which seemed like it happened and so but that hilariously that would not have led to free throws so john horse complained well you could argue that it would have eventually because they probably would have fouled again but so so john well well, and then but also i mean i think there still was a legitimate argument that drew committed an offensive foul in that play as well i i don't buy that argument and tatum did foul him but yeah as you mentioned it would have and that would have uh the the shot clock would have been under 14 so they would have had to foul there but they ended up scoring on the play anyway like they made they were better off like they would have had to inbound the ball and make free throws after that which so they actually made out better in the end by having that not get called and then you know there's no no one has said anything about this smart getting fouled on the 
Actually, let me look at that. Did they? They said it, they, they said it wasn't a foul. It was in the last, I saw it in the last two minutes. On, on Smart after he got the, the Portis, offensive rebound. The Portis play, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I thought that was a, a foul. And then Horst gave this interview. You know, he went to the, oh, I can't, like the, the free throw disparity. You know, and Drew Holiday takes this many shots and he drives a lot. And like, and okay, okay, John, that's great. But like, were there specific plays you thought he got fouled on? And he said, talked about how Giannis took 12 free throw attempts in the earlier part of the game the first three quarters and then didn't take any in the fourth so of course i watched all eight of his shot attempts and i thought that there was one play his first play where they isoed him on the left side up 13 he gets under the basket against horford goes up horford has his arms forward and horford hits him on the shoulder like that probably was a foul that should have been called i didn't see anything else that to me looked remotely like a foul the last two minute report actually did say that Giannis getting stripped right as the shot clock was expiring was a foul on jalen brown because brown first hit the ball and then came off the ball and hit his arm afterwards uh, to me i mean that may have been a missed call but it wasn't like some egregious missed call no one was saying that anything like no one was even complaining at that point of the game and the shot clock was going off at the same time so i, I mean i think you can only be complaining about just like obvious missed calls and uh, as you mentioned the two biggest calls of the game went his way and some of the quotes i mean these are just just so so mealy mouthed i think my favorite one was this when you start looking at the numbers i mean it's just it's pretty outrageous How outrageous well, I can't even talk anymore. And I think our players and Boston's players just deserve to have it be addressed and have it be looked at and to just have some improvement. Oh, Boston's players. The Boston's players deserve to have it addressed when they shot double the amount of free throws that you did. Like we're, we're doing this for Boston's benefit. Like that just was ridiculous. And then my favorite, favorite one was, I think the stats really speak for themselves. Well, John, why don't you just let the stats speak for themselves next time instead of giving this ridiculous interview and, and leaking these stats to the... I mean, I, I don't blame Eric Name on it. Like, you, the GM wants to leak something to you, you write the article, but it's just... It, it was pretty weak. Like, like they won the game! To go have this entire story after that is just... It's so ridiculous to me. It's just such crying. I The only time this entire playoffs that I've agreed with someone was the arrogant officiated game by taylor jenkins i thought that one the referees really did a bad job and it was to memphis's detriment we could end this podcast with the first coaching hire of the three, oh yeah of the three vacancies in the league and out of finalists that were steve clifford mark jackson and mike brown the sacramento kings have decided decided to hire mike brown this is an, an, another opportunity for him brown of course previously coached the the cleveland cavaliers he coached the lakers and he's and then been he coached an, the Cavs and coach Cavs <laughs> for and year. and then he has been an assistant for the for the golden state warriors for the past six seasons and it is a challenging position in sacramento because the biggest thing they need to improve on is defense but their defensive personnel is not fantastic they're going to be starting sabonis at center and they have to and they're probably going to be playing small at the four depending on how how everything shakes out and i hope that brown can instill some of that i think that he you know he's deserves credit for his role in golden state's defensive success over the last period of time though they had they had success before he got there and i i think they will have some after and i'm also wondering whether it's through brown or through the coaching staff how they're going to handle this offensively sabonis is an unusual player offensively and that i think is it can be advantageous you just have to maximize him use him well and the sabonis fox combination but this is also an extremely important thing and um james hammered about this at um his at king's beat his his site about how this is also an important indicator of bonnie mcnair having power because there had been plenty of reporting that vivek ronadive wanted mark jackson that he was the preferred choice and while it's funny that two of the three finalists had connections to the warriors where ronadive used to be a minority owner mcnair getting his pick of these of the finalists but also presumably the finalists were his picks of the full interviews that's a huge win for him yeah a few thoughts here i feel bad for mike braun he's not gonna be able to get these guys to defend if he does he will i said this about billy donovan last year and i'll say it about him this year that and we'll see what changes they make this offseason i don't expect it to be too substantial defensively but if he gets these guys to defend he will at least get some coach of the year love for me and i do think it was time for Braun to get another job i think that the things that he needed to improve on were things that were kind of addressed in golden state obviously he did a, a great job going undefeated in the playoffs in 2017 a lot of guys probably could have 
on that, but still he didn't screw it up, which is good. Um, I think he needed to kind of like unbutton his collar a little bit as a coach and hopefully spending some time in Golden State enabled him to do that. And he's done a nice job with Golden State's defense this year. He will remain with the Warriors until their playoff run is complete. It'd be interesting to see now. I mean, Mark Jackson has been talked about as a possibility with the Lakers. And if he gets that job, then perhaps he was the first choice in Sacramento and decided not to go there. It also might be for the Lakers that their first choice is Quinn Snyder, and then maybe they would go to Jackson instead. Or, you know, it could just be that this is just the hype machine. You never know how serious some of these candidates are because it kind of gets horse traded around in, in some of the reporting that someone is a candidate just to make them seem more legitimate for future potential offers, more so than that they're actually a real candidate in some circumstances we've heard Vinny del negro got like tossed around as a possible candidate for a few years after his time with the clippers for example and i i don't think he ever got close we'll put it that way and quinn snyder is actually going to speak to the media tomorrow now that he's had this hip replacement surgery and yeah i think that's it hopefully if you're listening on the public pod you'll consider joining dunked on prime since you can get all of our playoff game wrap-ups you'll get all of our draft scouting reports you'll get all of our off-season outlooks analysis of every transaction and free agency so never a better time to become a dunked on prime subscriber and we will talk to you all next time till then